0: Do you have like a good intro for the pod
1: this week? Sure. Welcome everybody to No One Likes the Tuna Podcast, the world's premiere, and dedicated most of the time to the Fast and the Furious. Yep. This this week, however, um I, Daryl Wong,
0: and uh my name is Nicholas Edward Nocera. That's my <laughs> real ass name. You could steal all my money probably with that information. <laughs>
1: Um we are in between cycles. We just wrapped our eighteenth cycle of Fast and Furious, and before we embark on our 19th, we have taken a vote with our Patreon mm-hmm. subscribers to um watch our in-betweener. And the in betweener yeah. is always our chance to depart only slightly from the Fast and the Furious universe. Yeah, and this
0: week. Particularly slightly, <laughs>
1: um, but this week we Nick and I both watched Point Break, and to be clear, we watched Point Break nineteen ninety one, not the twenty fifteen remake.
0: I have never seen the twenty fifteen remake of Point Break, and I truly don't plan to. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm definitely going to watch the yeah? remake. Oh yeah, definitely.
0: Can you give us a, a review next week on the remake of Point Break?
1: <laughs> I would love to. We'll see if I can, I'll, I'll see if I can bang it out.
0: Yeah, see if you can crash it out. Um, before we get into Point Break, mm-hmm. I do have a movie review that I want to talk about.
1: I hope it is the movie that I watched that I hope that you also watched.
0: It might be. I don't know. I've watched a lot of movies. So mm-hmm. it, um, uh, maybe, the co- what movie did you watch? I'll tell you if I watched it.
1: I watched I Care a Lot.
0: No, it's not that. No, much. <laughs> I All haven't right. seen that movie. And, I, you know, I, I what's that movie about?
1: So, I care a lot is, I think, like Netflix's Friday um, feature release. I think it came out mm-hmm. yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, it features Rosamund Pike, <laughs> Peter Dinklage, Pike. and yep. our very own Madam M. Isaac Gonzalez
0: Oh, sick Okay, I'll watch it We should watch it and talk about it on the pod next week Because okay. we're, we're going to need something After Good. watching the first movie 19 times um, No, I watched a movie called Judas and the Black Messiah mm-hmm. uh, Which is a new movie In 2021 Directed by Shaka King Starring Daniel Kaluuya Kaluuya uh, Who is from Get Out did you see that mm.
1: movie? I did, yes. Yeah,
0: so he's the star of that movie. And um, God. Lakefield Stanfield, uh, who is also in Get Le- Out. Um, Lakeith,
1: Lakeith Lake- Stanfield.
0: Thank you, Lakeith Stanfield. His name, the memory of his name escapes me. <laughs> uh, Daniel Kaluuya plays Fred Hampton the uh, chairman of the Illinois Black Panther Party and who was surreptitiously assassinated by the FBI when he was 21 years old in his bed while he was asleep. Uh, and Lakeith plays um, Bill Smith not Bill Smith Bill something uh, who was both a head of security for the Illinois Black Panther Party and a FBI informant who helped orchestrate that assassination. So, that's sort of the Judas Judas part to it. Also stars, weirdly, my college roommate, Caleb Everhart, uh, who has no lines in the movie. (laughs) Still
1: starring, yes.
0: But he is in... This was kind of a special thing. I love seeing this dude pop up on screen. I'm like a, I'm a big believer in Caleb Everhart because <laughs> uh, he was a very good friend of mine in college. But uh, he's like in the core group of Panthers that sort of roll around with Fred Hampton, and uh, and so you see him a lot. Like wherever Fred Hampton goes, he's got like five or six Panthers around him and he Caleb is there and it's like cool. hell yeah, dude.
1: <laughs> glad to it. see up there on the big screen.
0: I really do love seeing him up there on the big screen. Um All right, so I think the movie is very the movie like hit me in a big way. I think the movie's well directed. I think it's well acted. Jesse Plemons is also in the movie um I think Lakeith Stanfield does a pretty good job overall. Um, There's this, like, dual thing where, like, he... Very much like Fast and Furious or Point Break. There's the idea of, like, how wrapped up is he in the Panther ideology versus how committed is he to dealing with the FBI. Um, And the... But the thing that truly springs the movie into something that's incredibly worthwhile and worth watching, and, like, is not just, like, about the historical experience, but is that, like, Daniel Kaluuya is a fucking... gives an insane performance as Fred Hampton. I I honestly think... I mean, it sucks that this movie came out in, like, January, February, because is like, are the Oscars going to remember this performance by the time it rolls around next year? But they should, because I Mm -hmm. I can't... I mean, it's like, this is, for me, the performance to be... It's so magnetic and amazing, and, like, he just gives so much life to, like, Fred Hampton's, like, um, indelible energy and his, like, poetic language and the way he was able to inspire people... And the way he talked about sort of violent revolution, and um, and yeah, I just thought it was like an incredible movie. And it's not like it certainly doesn't always give like a super kind eye to the Panthers overall, I mean, like, but it does get into, like, how the Panthers tried to help communities and gave out free breakfast and, like, things that you don't really normally talk about when, when history talks about the Panthers uh, and how they were big gun advocates and, like, I I think, I just think that his performance, Daniel Kaluuya's performance is something I haven't seen I mean it's just like it was otherworldly to me truly Uh, and I think this film is incredibly worth watching I think it's an important film Um, and it's weird of like how big a studio movie it is with how sort of I I mean I wouldn't wouldn't call this now but maybe I would call it a year ago from now but like a radical philosophy or like a radical ideology or a radical history and like how much money is in this film and how much studio backing is in this film. With that, um, I think that's good, basically. I think that's like a solid positive trend is like a movie like this is getting made into 2021 with some backing behind it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Again, like the movie basically goes through it in a chronological way and like it doesn't do anything. I don't think it does anything like world changing in terms of its technical prowess, you know, of the movie. It's got a great score uh, and it's got uh, some very solid performances, but like leaps and bounds almost above the movie itself is Daniel Kalua's performances. Fred Hampton is incredible. So I would mm-hmm. definitely recommend going to see that movie if you can. Rent it from a movie theater Which is something I did the other day With a movie our friend Sandy, our friend Sandy Sue worked on Hmm really uh, Watch that Yeah I watched her movie Through I rented it from like a movie theater distribution So I paid a little more To a movie theater to stream it From their distribution platform or something So I can help like support the movie theaters In the US or whatever mm. I don't remember which one I did it from
1: Cool I didn't know that was available.
0: I don't think it's necessarily like the widest option. It's also on mm. iTunes you know, iTunes or whatever. But like that's a way to see movies nowadays, apparently, which is cool. Um Yeah. Anyway, Judas and the Black Messiah. Watch it. It's good. <laughs> I don't have much else to say. But like watch it, let me know what you think. Please. I'm always mm. down to engage. Um Henuhu. You want to talk about Point Break? Big time. Yeah. Okay. Can so I say? This, this? Go, ahead. Yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go
1: ahead. So this was not my first watch through. I must have done okay. extracurricular uh homework mm-hmm. at some point. I don't. Within the past year or so, I I think it came up yeah. in our. It com It came up rightfully so in one of our conversations, and I was like, I gotta watch this movie. So. This is the second time I've seen it, and it was still very good. Yeah,
0: this movie – that's what I was going to say. This movie rules hard, dude. This movie is so, so, so good. Uh, It's directed by Catherine Bigelow, who made uh, The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty and K-19 The Widowmaker and Blue Steel and – um Detroit which was a movie that I was not as fond of um yeah but she's a very good director and it was mm-hmm. produced by James Cameron this movie so that's hmm. sort of part of the history of this movie is that she'd made blue steel Cameron had made the terminator and was sort of setting up a a a, a production company and Had got this script, which was originally called something else. I can't remember what. Um, Or I think it was called Johnny Utah. And, Mm. you know, about this cop. And, yeah, better title, Point Break. Uh, Definitely. So he gets this script. He's working with a couple of people looking around for someone to make it. And also is, at the time, married to Catherine Bigelow. Hmm. So he suggests her for this after sort of Blue Steel came out and was, I think, well received. I don't really know. I've never seen it. Uh, and that's sort of how that gets the job. But that he also, the other part of that puzzle is that like Cameron also worked with her on rewriting good portions of the script to sort of hmm. just like make it clink better, make it fit better, make the cogs sort of beat from piece to piece better I've never read the original script obviously but like that's the story as it goes so Cameron had a hand in this but like this is decidedly Bigelow's film and is a film that fucking rocks the house (laughs) like so good right Mm -hmm. um what um should we talk about like the parallels I guess between this and the Fast and the Furious from two thousand one, so ten years separate these two movies. Mm-hmm. Did they feel similar to you? Big time. Yeah.
1: So Keanu Reeves plays Johnny Utah, fresh out of Quantico, FBI agent who rolls up to I don't know the FBI
0: the FBI office <laughs> office in Blue L.A. Flame special.
1: Uh huh, and um, the big oh yeah, he immediately joins the robberies department, and they're trying to chase down a crew of four robbers who call themselves the Mm ex-presidents. And um, Johnny Utah gets paired off with some old geezer, Papas.
0: Papas, yep, Papas, Papas,
1: who's been chasing around the ex-presidents for years now, played
0: by Gary Busey.
1: Mm-hmm. And the um ex-presidents have performed something twenty-eight, twenty-eight robberies in the past three years. three years, which is insane because they are able to get in, steal cash, get out in ninety seconds, and then they disappear.
0: Yeah.
1: But yeah. uh Papa's theory, which he has yet to prove, is that they are surfers. And he's pulled together a lot of a few different uh clues, mostly around dirt and asphalt and sand and wax and he utilizes his blue flame mm-hmm. China Utah, John Utah. Yep. to infiltrate the local surf community and try to make progress on the ex- presidents
0: yeah, I mean that's the basic. Thing And there's some pushback in the FBI about the surfer theory, like, I guess for three years people had sort of discarded Pappas' theory about them, the ex-presidents, being like surfer bums as nothing, and then as Johnny Utah get, basically comes up as like a hand or a way into this crew, and from then on, there's not a ton, there's one scene with John C. McGinley, who's like the FBI captain, where he gives them a dressing down about this crazy uh idea, but mm-hmm. I there's also like uh not much but it's like it's like once they sort of set the plan in motion, it's just like, yeah, okay, it's the surfer plan from now on, mm-hmm. here we go mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what yeah. It that's <laughs> what we're going to do.
1: Yeah, Papa shows his little dirt theory, and then he matches that to the surf calendar. It's like, hey, when they're surfing, they're robbing, and then they leave to chase other surf. That's not in L.A. And Johnny Utah's like, sounds good to me. Let's go find some uh, hair samples from surfers in the different areas to match them and figure out where these guys hang out.
0: Right, that's the key piece of evidence for this, where it's like... They find a hair at the bank robbery. They analyze the hair. This is, like, cool Catherine Bigelow stuff. And she does this again in, like, Zero Dark Thirty, too, with, like, the investigative, like, the weird investigative technology or, like, the footwork kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And she, the thing I like about this piece of the script is that it lays it out really simple, a complicated thing that really simply for you, where it's, like, we found in the hair sample we found traces of this chemical, this chemical, and this chemical. Mm-hmm. There's been reports of these sort of mix of chemicals being released at certain beaches because of like toxicish waste kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So if we take hair samples from surfers at different beaches, we can narrow the target of which beach the ex-presidents might surf at. Basically,
1: so these hair samples are basically. Yokohama ZX, two hundred tires. They're like, all right, we see tread marks here. It's got to be street racers. We got tread marks. We got uh-huh. hair samples. That's uh-huh. the only thing we need to book these criminals.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I like. I like. I. It weirdly, you think it's gonna be like a clunky thing, but it kind of works. And it's like a it fun works. scene montage of them like pulling hairs out of surfers' heads mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah, I want to say. I want to say one thing about Gary Busey before we move on, Mm -hmm. He plays Agent Pappas. I think it's a really smart piece of casting um, because – and, like, I don't really have the evidence to back this up because I haven't gone back through Gary Busey's sort of filmography. But, like, he was sort of known as this aloof sort of carefree, maybe smokes a little pot, maybe – he didn't quite turn it into that until later in the 90s as much as, like – from a pop culture standpoint, but I do think he tended towards characters who played that sort of like, I don't give a shit, I'm kind of like a kook kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Even if he's like, um, even if he's, you know, a a military guy or whatever he's playing, it just sort of had this Gary Busey kind of weirdness to it. Even Buddy Holly in that Buddy Holly movie, uh, it's kind of kind of had a wacky thing going on anyway so i think it's a smart piece of casting because you're casting him against type where he's actually an fbi fbi cop agent who really cares and who really wants to catch these motherfuckers and is playing as the antagonist to the cool easygoing looking to live life to its fullest Beach Bums, which is typically the what you would think of in the Gary Busey sort of train. Hmm. That all being said, I don't think Gary Busey is very good in this movie. <laughs> I don't think his performance is, is, is killer. I kept wanting Nick Nolte to be in that role. 100%. Oh, I was like, this, I see. this should be Nick Nolte right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just because I'm like, I'm like... I love Nick Nicolte, like, with all my heart and soul. I want him to be in every movie ever made. But maybe it's like there's something missing. There's a missing piece there that I don't think Busey could get over his sort of, like, cool, relaxed sort of beach bum thing and really push into this, like, I'm a fucking cop and I'm going to get these fucking bad guys Mm -hmm. kind of deal. Which Mm -hmm. I wanted, because we've already got Johnny Utah, who's allowed to be sort of that twin dynamic between, like, FBI agent who cares and is young and trying to prove himself. And, like, I do want to live life to the fullest and, like, sort of be a beach bum and, like, not care about things and, like, experience what these guys got going on spiritually. I don't need a second older character to also almost have that vibe, right mm-hmm. so that's sort of my big complaint with the movie is Gary Busey, but that being said, it didn't like ruin the movie for me. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. yeah uh, um, yeah uh yeah, even in just the beginning of the movie, they're in los angeles um john utah's twenty five years old, which is the same age great age that um like basically Brian, young Brian O'Connor is. And yeah. it's funny that as he's coming through and he's doing the intro with the uh, FBI boss, they go, oh, yeah, no smoking, no drinking. He's like, not a problem. I take the I take the skin off the chicken before I eat it. <laughs> oh, you're saying you might, is that maybe like eating a tuna sandwich with no crust?
0: Yeah, is that, no a, crust, is that sort of
1: the same thing? Yeah. Is the crust...
0: Bad health-wise, can I ask that question?
1: I think it's the same. It's I think it's exact same composition as the rest of the bread. Right. I think it's just a flavor thing that kids don't like.
0: Mm, mm, mm.
1: Texture. They just want. I remember that when I was a kid.
0: Where it's like it's a hard rim to get off. Yeah, they just want the squish. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. All right. So, Fast and Furious comes out ten years later. Mm-hmm. 2001. I do think Rob Marshall uh, And what's his name Who wrote the script for Fast and Furious 1 like Based on the characters by It's in every movie How do we not know this guy's name Based on the characters by
1: um.
0: How do we not know this by now um, I do think those guys a had seen this movie. they had to and were influenced by this movie mm-hmm and like the idea of this kind of cat and mouse piece with undercover cop within an interesting cinematically engaging youth culture mm-hmm. right um And I know there's, like, people online, I looked this up a little bit, like, did graphs of certain, like, points of the movie that, like, line up perfectly. Mm -hmm. To me, that is just in terms of, like, the movie falls within a three-act structure and, like, has certain beats at certain moments, which a hundred million other movies also have. I mean I do see the similarities. I do feel like they were definitely influenced by it. I do think that I do not think it's a remake. I do not think it's like they just decided to like be lazy and like just steal the movie and make a different movie and like reskin it. I don't feel like that was the intention of Rob Marshall and the and Neil Moritz at all for the mm-hmm. Fast and the Furious. Um, and also, there's elements of the Fast and the Furious mm-hmm. that are taken from the original Fast and the Furious film that we have seen from the 40s, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and, like, directly from that, which is a property that they did own and they they could pull from. Uh, I would, I think Rob Marshall would never say that they took pieces of... Point Break, but like I, I you, like you feel it right, and you feel the influence. And I don't necessarily think that that is a bad thing mm-hmm. either, right? I don't feel like the work that went into making the Fast and the Furious because it, it was influenced and reflects a little bit of the work that went into making Point Break. I don't think the work w- that went into it was easy, right? In any way, I don't think it was like. I don't think they're cribbing it in any way Um, but you see the influence because Catherine Bigelow is a talented fucking filmmaker and her and James Cameron are talented screenwriters who like know how to construct a story that like takes you through and has moments of tension and excitement and love and other things like that right Mm
1: -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Maybe this is something yeah. that is like easier to sort of like look at in hindsight when we compare sort of surfing as a um, as more than just like a hobby, but it has a lifestyle and it has sort of history that spans for very very long. Versus yeah. the material, the base material that they're working with in Fast and yeah. Furious is a what now is like
0: ubiquitous. You know, yeah. yeah.
1: But it's it's different, you know. It's like I think the import tuner drag racing culture that um, Fast the Furious was sort of like approaching and sort of introducing to the masses in that movie um, is uh, yeah. Like when we when we're looking at it now in twenty twenty one, it's just like it looks dated. But I think what is probably something that makes Point Break sort of feel like more. Like, it's more, it's based on something maybe more tangible and like generates more, a deeper feeling of that spirituality and like the connection and sort of the, yeah, the mystery around like chasing the big wave. I think right. they're trying to do that like in like the 10, yeah, the 10 second quarter mile and mm-hmm. uh, the mm-hmm. uh, yeah. seeking of that thrill. But I think the sort of like the, the main thing, like the quarter mile versus like the big wave, the fifty year storm. I think they're so like I think they're so different as in terms of like the pinnacle of their sport or hobby or lifestyle. That yeah. it makes yeah those are the things that really characterize the movie, and I think that yeah. makes the feel of it sort of down to its core a lot different.
0: I do too, and and it, to me, it's also like characteristically Bodhi and Dom Toretto are so in different worlds and are after different things, right? Like, I do feel like the Bodhi, Patrick Swayze character, like, he is chasing a sort of a adrenaline, right? Like, the excitement of putting your life in danger is akin to a sort of a spiritual experience or a connection with, a, like, a higher power. Whereas... Dom is looking to like for like zen. he's looking for like oblivion, right? It's, like he understands like the disgustingness of the world outside, and what he's chasing after is like ten fucking seconds of peace in his life, right? Mm-hmm. So I do think like that dynamic of them being so different really helped to differentiate these two pictures quite a bit. Mm-hmm for me this all being said I do feel like and this is one point I really do feel that was sort of not cribbed but whatever I do feel like Paul Walker watched this movie and based a lot of his characterization for Brian O'Connor on Keanu's performance like a, a lot yeah Right?
1: When I think about um yeah, in watching this movie and when I think about sort of Paul Walker playing Brian O'Connor in those instances where um like in Too Fast Too Furious, he's got the gun down at the goon guy and he has those like uh he yeah, he's yelling really fast, like the yeah, um, Paul Walker under stress, I think, is a mirror of like Keanu Reeves sort of like Yelling at people and right. like, I feel like the the delivery and the tone of all that
0: is the same. Right. Yeah. And the tuna scene for me, it was when I, when I saw the tuna scene or not, the, it's not even the tuna. Scene. It's like a burger and fries scene when he mm-hmm. speaks, when he's talking to Lori Petty, who we'll get to in a second. Um but, when he's ordering from her the restaurant which she works at, which she never works at again in the entire movie, which is a I love. I She's like, oh, we don't give a shit about this restaurant. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but like, just hit the way. Even just the way his voice sounds, like ordering the burger and fries, versus the way Paul Walker's voice sounds ordering the tuna and fries, his cadence, his delivery, his coyness, his flirtatiousness, uh, is like, like almost one to one to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do Mm -hmm. think Paul Walker was like, this is where I want to take. Like, you know, I'd probably at some point in production understood that what they were trying to do was somewhere in the vein of a point break kind of feature and had took it upon himself to watch the movie and then also like really studied what Keanu Reeves was doing and why he was doing it. I To me that's the mark of like good work into acting. Right? It's like I don't see that again. I don't necessarily think his like twinning of Keanu Reeves performance is necessarily like a bad thing for him to have done. It totally works for the movie that they're making. Uh, And I think like it's, I, I really do think it's like perfectly okay for actors to look at other performances and try to get like a sense of why they were doing what, what they were doing. Like that's real work, you know? Um, it's not just about like oh, I keep a character diary and I write myself like a backstory and I you know and you know I like bring this thing out of nothing. It's like no other performances exist in the world, right? Like, and like the Stanislav method is not the fucking only way to go with this thing. And we tend to laud these sort of Stanislav esque actors like Bale or somebody, you know, or or Daniel Day Lewis or like these guys who, who you know, only live in the world of the character and have brought it up out of their body and it's so transformative and shit. But, like, yeah, I mean, it's okay to act, right? And, like, do the work of acting, which is, like, try to study other people who do the craft and learn from them and, and that sort of thing. Hmm. Sorry, I'm kind of ranting about it, but, but I think it's important to note that, like, I really don't think Paul Walker's a bad performance. I think is probably a better performance in this movie than Paul Walker. I agree. But I think Keanu's a better actor than Paul Walker ever was also. <laughs> so, but I also don't think like Paul Walker's sort of taking of what Keanu Reeves is doing and trying to apply it to sort of this other piece that he's working on is is it's a bad choice, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the whole point of an actor is like to make choices, commit to them and like do them and try to like live the experience of the world through the choices you've made. So that's sort of my big point about Paul Walker. Yeah.
1: You want to talk about Swayze? I just put down here Swayze rules. Yeah, Watching those, baby? Um, I don't know a ton about him, but we looked. Uh, Jess and I we were watching it. We looked it up. Uh, apparently, he is trained in ballet uh-huh. and taekwondo, and it really yeah. And I forgot a couple other martial arts, but it really shows in the way that he, he sort of is able to move around, sort of on screen, not only on a surfboard, even when he's fighting, and especially when he jumps out of the jumps out of a right. plane. Yeah.
0: I've read some stuff about Swayze in this movie.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Learned to surf, first of all. Insisted on doing a lot of the surfing himself. There's claims it's all him. I don't believe them for a second.
1: Mm-hmm. There's
0: like some really far off silhouetted, beautiful surfing shots where you can't see the dude's face. Especially yeah. in the introduction of Brody and like him flipping upside down on the fuck. They got a professional surfer and they fucking put him in the wave <laughs> and they shot it. Like, they really, really did. I'm sorry, guys. So, but he did learn to surf and learn to surf well. Um, the other thing is he learned to skydive and apparently did 55 jumps for this mm-hmm. movie. I don't think they had 55 takes, but I think he did 55 jumps. Just overall, during the training and production of this movie, basically.
1: Mm-hmm. You have to have um, a certain number of jumps before they let you do it by yourself. And
0: Yeah, I think so. I think so. And they... Those guys jumped out of a fucking plane for this movie. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. Oh, That's yeah. one of the coolest fucking things about this movie, is that, like, that sequence is so beautiful and good. And, like, it's wild. Is wild um and this is really the tail end of Swayze's like hot ass fucking streak too because Swayze did dirty dancing in eighty seven roadhouse in eighty nine ghost in ninety and point break in ninety one and then pretty much nothing else that's it I mean yeah that's kinda of, i mean he did he did work a lot. Uh, Like he did Donnie Darko in 2001 he has this sort of supporting role but he worked a lot he did a lot of sort of Dirty Dancing related material he did a couple other movies he had that show that he had late in life which I can't remember what it was called The Beast Um, but this is kind of the end of Swayze hmm In the Swayze that we all keep nostalgically in our heads, Mm -hmm. and what a fucking movie to go out on! Hell yeah, wow! Um, first of all, talking about Swayze, he's super hot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean that that hairdo. I just so envious. It's. It's uh, It's I'm not, a, I don't know what to call it. I don't even know what to call it. I'm not of that generation. It's just like a big, manly, long hair dude.
0: Yeah, it's so beautiful. <laughs> and, like, his body is all over this movie, and it's beautiful. He's just kind of perfect, right? Mm. And, like, he's probably a touch old, but it almost works for the character, where it's this guy sort of hanging on to this, culture and like loosey goosey mentality that he sort of they've sort of he's grown up with. Uh I don't know how old Swayze was when he filmed this movie, but uh
1: I think he was like 39 or something.
0: Yeah. I mean like way too old, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like playing like twenty-nine maybe. Mm-hmm. Thirty. But like they keep him really young. They make him look really young and beautiful, and they give him this sort of beard to cover a little bit of that aging face kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they make... They, they work with it a little bit where they make him older than the rest of his crew, than the rest of the ex-presidents. So he's sort of the leader of the gang immediately. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's so incredible in this movie. Um... He's like you buy into his spirituality around surfing right away,
1: mm-hmm. and, and it's, but it's not one dimensional, right? It's not no. just like oh, like surfing is the surfing is the source, but it's it's complicated and it takes kind of that darker, almost like kind of like terroristy, yeah. Uh, sort of angle to it as it's as it as he goes on but it doesn't feel detached from sort of the overall like connection to like surfing spirituality
0: and it almost moves into like a theme i think in bigelow's movies sometimes which well not i don't think it is a big theme in bigelow's movies which is like the darkness of obsession Hmm. and like the really 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 fucked up downside to being obsessed with something Um, and she doesn't punch it as much in this movie which I think was a good choice but you do have those glimpses of like he's so obsessed with catching this like level of adrenaline and like being closer to God and um, not that he's like an outwardly religious person but there is like this sense in the movie that like God is what he's chasing right he's Mm -hmm. trying to find that um, and is sort of obsessed with it and has like found this way to sort of tap into it but like is so obsessed that he's willing to like die and he's willing to kill his friends and he's willing to rob banks and he's willing to do some really not nice things to people he loves like kidnap his ex-girlfriend mm-hmm. to like get there Right, mm-hmm. um, and you see that a very, very like she basically takes that theme and explodes it in the Hurt Locker, where this like guy who is so obsessed with the feeling of like being in a fucking car with a giant tank of gasoline strapped to a bomb and not being able to figure out where the fucking wire he needs to cut is—he's so addicted and obsessed with that feeling that he like when he goes to normal life, he can't cope with it. Right, mm. it, Or in Zero Dark Thirty, where, like, America was so obsessed with capturing and killing Osama bin Laden. And, like, that was the one thing we could all sort of be behind, was that, like, we all collectively, and through the character of Jessica Chastain as a conduit to this turned an incredibly blind eye to, like, the horrific, torturous things that the, like, U.S. government was doing in the Middle East during that time in, quote-unquote, like, pursuit of this or, like, the pursuit of, like, freedom for the Middle Eastern people, whatever. Mm-hmm. She's really into that idea, and, like, I love to see the seed of that idea here in this movie, basically, where that she would go on to later delve more into. Can we talk about Lori Petty, maybe? Mm-hmm. A little bit? What did you think? Have you seen Lori Petty before?
1: I don't think so. I if I did, I don't remember. But I I liked her a lot and it was unexpected. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't not sure if I've seen her or anything else.
0: She uh was in a movie called Tank Girl sort of a cult movie at this point she's in a league of their own with madonna and rosie o'donnell where she's sort of a stand she's got a real standout Mm. voice which i Mm -hmm. think was one of her things was like her voice has a real distinct characteristic that's different which i think is part of her quality um she's in this movie she's in free willy but I know her best from a movie I watched almost obsessively when I was nine, eight or nine, eight mm-hmm. or nine years old. I can't remember somewhere around there, eight, nine, ten. I loved the Polly Shore feature in the Army Now, which is I'm I have not watched since I was maybe ten years old. I'm sure it would not hold up. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: I was like a big Polish Shore guy. polish Shore was like one of my guys when I was 10 years old, okay? <laughs> like Biodome, you know, Encino Man. Like, I was into that fucking dude. Mm-hmm. But she's plays the love interest in, in the army now. And so, like, every time I see a Lori Petty movie now, which is not often, because she really, she had a spurt, and she's been a working actor since, but, like, she had yeah, she had a very sort of narrow moment. I feel like. And because of In the Army now, whenever you see a Laurie Petty movie and she comes up, like today when I was watching this movie, I was like, Fucking hell yeah, Lori Petty <laughs> I I really like her very much. I think she yeah. plays a good she's like a good pair for Keanu. Too. So that's my basic thing.
1: I think, like, her character, Tyler, is, I think, the sort of least uh, equatable to fa- to a Fast and the Furious character. I think she, like, holds yeah. a position that is somewhere between Letty and Mia. And I think...
0: Yeah. And um, relationship-wise, and- too... She does mm-hmm. right, like she is a romantic interest for Bodie, sort of in the beginning, and Keanu later in the movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, I mean, if I think of a character like Tyler in the fef- in the Fast and Furious, I or I, yeah, but I think that I mean, I just I like I like Tyler's character more than I like. I think it split up into something like Letty and Mia.
0: Yeah, and I like Letty, and I like Mia.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I probably, li- I'm probably didn't disagree with that point. I like mm-hmm. Letty, and I like Mia as a dynamic in those mo- two characters who basically never intertwine in the Fast and the Furious, which we should talk about next week. Mm-hmm. Um, but. And I think that dynamic, sort of splitting out that role, gives a little more breath to the movie, a little more like whatever, because, and a little more like meat for at least one of them to do something in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> Mia has kind of a big role in that movie. Whereas Tyler is like, her big thing is she teaches Johnny Utah to surf in the first. 15 minutes of the movie Mm. and then she's kind of a love interest but doesn't do a whole lot else doesn't like warn Johnny Utah very much against Brody she's like man he does this sometimes or like man he's kind of crazy or like man the gang hangs out and then she gets kidnapped Mm -hmm. late in the movie. I guess she finds out Her other big thing is She finds out And she like holds Johnny Utah up With a gun One time Late at night But then it just like Walks away Hm. And then She gets kidnapped And then Disappears for the last 40 minutes of the movie Basically
1: It's a long movie Was it 220?
0: It's, it, no it's not two, It was 205. Two, two, 205 Yeah Yeah Yeah, it is a long movie. Did you feel like it was too long, though? We talk about Uh, this a lot on this podcast.
1: So I actually, I made a note about, I liked the, yeah, one of the main criticisms we have of Hobbs and Shaw is like, it seems like they're moving around for no reason. Yeah, But I think the length of this and the segments and sort of the way that they're moving through L.A. and then eventually to Australia I think the length of it and the different sort of settings that they use are appropriate for just the rest of the pace of the movie and what's going on. I do
0: too. I do too. Um, I think it's well-paced. I mean, I I wasn't bored ever. I don't think there's a lot of useless stuff in here. I don't think it's, like, loaded up with things that don't need to be there. I think some of the John C. McGinley stuff could probably go. But other Mm -hmm. than that, like – uh it's like I want to engage with these characters. I want to be with them for a while. Um And I also appreciate, like, if the guys who made Fast and Furious took, if they, you know, whatever pieces they sort of were influenced by in taking this movie and seeing this movie, understood that, like, I don't need to, fucking beat for beat this either and I can like chop it down that movie's like a tight 140 basically right mm-hmm. and like didn't need to spend all this time developing things uselessly whereas this movie develops those things but it's definitely to a purpose right of like transforming Johnny Utah from like a stiff young kid out of the academy in a suit into what he is at the end which is like grizzled and tired and like Wet, very, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh um, Let's talk maybe quickly about the end of this movie, and then wrap up some last points, and then get out of here. Sure, Does that sound good. Hope. Yeah. Last piece of this movie is shot, uh, it was shot in California, but it takes place in Australia. Mm-hmm. The fifty-year storm, and this I think is a is the piece that people. I think this is one of the pieces people take out of this movie and be like, "See, of is just a remake of this, right?" Because it's like there's this moment where he lets Bodhi go surf off to his death, basically, mm-hmm. right?
1: I mean, yeah, I mean that doesn't seem like the same thing. I mean, he lets yeah, lets Vin go, but Vin is like. Yeah, here's a fully functional car. You can go off and like escape yeah. and live that's, and like be alive. <laughs> big that's difference. It's a difference.
0: It's a big difference. Those yeah. two characters, Bodie, uh, sorry, Keanu Reeves' character, Johnny Utah, and Brian O'Connor, are making different decisions when they're mm-hmm. making those decisions. Um, yeah, sort of the action is the same in sort of letting somebody go, but Johnny Utah knows Bodie is going to die when he mm-hmm. surfs into that water. You know.
1: He's also chased him around for a year all yeah. over the world yeah. to do that. And it shows like a
0: yeah, another
1: level of not only sort of dedication, but also sort of struggle for uh Johnny Utah that he was like driven enough to go and yeah, like the obsession the obsession to catch Bodie yeah. was his sort of thing that he had to work through.
0: Right, right. Right. Yeah. This movie's good. The Australianness of the last scene, though, for me, is a little bit jarring. Right? We've been so wrapped in this, like, L.A., California beach bum culture, and, like, American, like, whoa, oh, dude, like, whoa, bro. And then, like, all mm-hmm. of a sudden, there's, like, 50 Australian accents. <laughs> I'm like, wow, <"Whoa." laughs> What's going on? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's crazy. Um, so that was kind of weird, but... The last point I want to make about this movie is that the the big connection I make between this and Fast and Furious is that, like, they are both kind of the death knell for the, like, zenith of a youth culture at a certain specific period of time, right? I'm not saying, like, these youth cultures, like as presented in this movie, don't exist anymore. Like, the beach bum lifestyle, or the beach... I, I don't mean that derisively, but, like... Like, sort of the, the surfer dude lifestyle versus, like, the um, enthusiast, like, street racer lifestyle. Like, those things still exist. There's They still happen in the world. But I do think, like, the, the surfer dude... The surfer local, surfer dude, adrenaline junkie lifestyle thing was a cult pop cultural piece in the 80s that got bigger and bigger and bigger as the 80s went on, especially with, like, skateboarding starting to come into play and becoming, like, a big player in, the, in that kind of world, too. And, um... You know, and like the late 80s sort of Reagan era countercultural stuff where it's like Reagan and, you know, that's another point of this movie is like Bodie plays Reagan in the ex-presidents, which is a big in your face kind of thing about like the sort of anti-conservative movement of that sort of of that urban surfer lifestyle kind of thing Mm anti-capitalist anti sort of gasoline anti you know reaganist kind of deal and that sort of grew bigger and bigger and bigger in the late 80s and then this movie is like okay great it's big enough we're gonna make a movie about it Mm -hmm. and we're gonna use that as a cinematic touch piece of a movie and then once the movie happens it's like yeah, that's sort of like the death knell right that's the that's the bell for it to start to sort of decline in terms mm. of its popularity and its movement for a number of reasons but like the fast and the furious 2 is like the street racing culture and that culture as a counter-cultural touchstone against like the police over policing and like um you know, like, gentrification in urban areas and others, you know, and, like, sort of giving a big fuck you to sort of, like, lockdown and control and trying to, like, make nice streets for rich white people kind of deal, right? Like, that culture grew and grew and grew to a zenith where the, Rob Marshall and Neil Morris were like, we're going to make a movie about it, right? And it's going to be this culture, is piece, and we're going to set our movie within this cultural piece in L.A. And then that movie, again, becomes sort of the, like, yes, it explodes it into the mainstream, but its explosion into the mainstream is one of the sort of things that creates this vacuum that sucks the mm. sort of coolness or counter-culturalness out of it to the point where it becomes something that, like, People aren't as interested in because it's less insular, less protected, less countercultural, and they sort of move on to the next countercultural piece or movement, Mm -hmm. right? I think it's interesting that both these movies sort of act as that marking point in those countercultural, well, countercultural whatever, right? Uh. I don't have much else to say other than I think that's interesting, but yeah. Yeah, that's where I, I love
1: am. that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's really well explained. I think that's a like, smart observation.
0: Cool. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Do you have anything else on point prank you want to touch on?
1: The only thing, the last thing I had was that I kind of enjoyed the uh, the bullets and the blood and watching sort of the 1991 version of that because... Action movies these days are just, it's, it's very real looking stuff. And I yeah. liked kind of like the crappy, like, oh, you're wearing like a blood packet under your shirt yeah. sort of thing. And the, everybody gets shot in this movie and everybody's running around, yeah. jumping out of planes. And I, I kind of got a kick out of that. So. Totally. Yeah.
0: I, I love that. I love like 80s practical effects, basically, or yeah. early 90s practical effects. When they when they go to do that raid in the surfer's house who are not the ex-presidents, mm-hmm. and they, like, get into a big shootout with those guys, and the guy gets shot in the head next to his yeah. girlfriend, and it's, like, this, like, very clearly, like, putty, you know, like, yeah. bullet wound on his head that you've seen for, like, a long time. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: But it doesn't... It doesn't take me out of the movie. I'm like, hell yeah. Man. I like it. <laughs> like, yeah, I was into I it. Great. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that one. And the guy with the, yeah, but he was hiding behind the door and he like is holding a loaded gun. Door hits him. He shoots his own foot and they zoom in. They show the big like Converse weapon shoe
0: explode with blood yeah. and stuff. I was like,
1: yeah, it's kind of cool. I'm into this.
0: Rap. Rap. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, I guess next week we will find out if any of our thoughts or feelings about Point Break push into our watch of Fast and Furious again. <laughs> so we'll see what happens on that next week. But in the meantime, if you want to reach out to us, or if you want to yell at us, or about our opinions about this movie, please do so uh, at NOLT Podcast n o l t t Podcast on Twitter, where Nolan likes to tune a podcast on instagram we're patreon.com slash no one likes to tune a podcast didn't get to a riddick movie this week didn't happen but it is gonna happen and we are gonna put it on the patreon it's gonna rule Uh, so throw us a buck Uh, or also you could email us no one likes to tune podcast at gmail.com have i checked that email address in the last two months no am i gonna check it this week maybe probably not but if you want to do it, do it. Who gives a shit? Um, uh, anything, I, oh, we didn't do shout-outs, but I, I don't have time. I don't have time. That's okay.
1: Yeah. We'll save it. Yeah, we'll we'll back up.
0: Yeah. Coolio, brother. Anything else we do? Oh, rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Please, actually, please do that. If you're listening to this show right now, pause it. I'll give you a moment right here. I'm not going to talk about anything boring, right? now. Hey, thanks for a nice review. This is Nick. I man, I just read it and oh, what a cool thing you wrote. What well, I was awesome and you made some really good points. And um, you were a little cagey with your praise, but I understand and I appreciate you still giving us five stars. So, yeah, that's it from me.
1: That's a wrap. Till next week, Cycle 19.